Section 37 of The History of Prostitution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ramon Escamilla. The History of Prostitution by William Sanger. Section 37. Chapter 28. Central and South America. Low Moral Condition, San Salvador, Guatemala, Yucatan, Costa Rica, Honduras, the Caribs, Depravity in Peru and Chile, Children of the House, Intrigue in Lima, Infanticide, Laxity of Morals in Brazil and Paraguay, Foundling Hospital at Rio Janeiro. The whole peninsula of South America, and the states comprised in Central America, are involved in the same social system with Mexico, derived as they are by common origin from pure or mixed Spanish blood. The same political circumstances and organization have always affected the various territorial divisions, and whether we consider the semi-civilized nations of ancient Peru and its dependencies, or the savage tribes in the valleys of the Amazon and the La Plata, we find them after the first eruption of Spanish conquerors, victims of indiscriminate oppression, insatiable avarice, and unsparing lust. South America was long considered a mere treasure field of the Spanish monarchy, to be worked without liability to account by every adventurer who chose to encounter the hardships of foreign travel or the perils of residence in a tropical climate and amid hostile savages. The natives far outnumbered their masters, and the same ruthless system of depression was extended to them as to Mexico. The consequence was that before the lapse of many generations from the conquest, there were but two classes throughout the vast Spanish territories, masters and slaves. The natural and inevitable result of servile institutions could not long be postponed. The descendants of the conquerors rapidly degenerated and imbecility and incapacity took the places of heroism and ability. The original hardihood and daring, which had vanquished uncounted enemies, had traversed unknown wilds, had defied every danger, were lost in voluptuousness and self-indulgence. The posterity of those men who had discovered a new world and swayed the destinies of the old by a nod or the stroke of a pen were unable to protect themselves against the weak ministers of a worn-out despotism, or against any unscrupulous demagogue who could rally a band of roving Indians around him and maraud the peaceable and well-disposed. A state of political degradation reigned supreme over the whole of South America, only to be paralleled by the debasement of its social condition. In Central America, including San Salvador, Guatemala, Yucatan, Costa Rica, and Honduras, the condition of the women is very much the same as in Mexico. The statements of travelers in those little-frequented regions are very vague in reference to the subject of public morality, and give us no reliable or detailed information on the specialties which would be of service in this inquiry. In Yucatan, the ladies are said to be somewhat more domesticated than their Mexican neighbors, and to interest themselves in the management of their households and the education of their children. But still the standard of morality is not very high if measured by United States habits and ideas. In the neighboring Republic of Guatemala, 
the free manners prevalent in the country districts of the kindred territories are usually met with, but these would rather indicate low ideas of decency than any actual immorality. Difference of climate and of race would make many things tolerable, or even reputable, which our colder skies and more rigid notions would totally exclude from the observances of civilized society. The Indian populations of South America have become so completely slaves during long years of bondage that they have lost their prominent characteristics, and are but a reflex of their masters in the lowest state of ignorance. The women may be generally described as of very loose morals, yet kind and gentle unless roused by jealousy, in which case they can use the knife as promptly as their male friends. It is said they make very affectionate mothers. There are a few tribes who have preserved some semblance of nationality. The Caribs of Honduras are a hardy and athletic race. Polygamy is general among them, three or four wives being a not uncommon number. The husband is compelled to have a separate house and plantation for each, and, if he make one a present, he must give the other something of equal value. He must also divide his time among them, giving a week to each in succession. When a Carib takes a wife, he fells a plantation and builds a house. The wife then takes the management, and he becomes a gentleman. The women attend their plantations with great care, and, in the course of twelve or fifteen months, have every description of breadstuff under cultivation. About Christmas they engage several crayers, and freight them with produce for Trujillo and Belize, hiring their husbands and others as sailors. It is also the custom, when a woman cannot do all the work required on her plantation, for her to engage her husband as a laborer, and pay him two dollars per week. Industry and forethought are peculiar traits of the Carib women. Consequently, they easily surround themselves with necessaries and comforts. The data bearing on the proportion of the sexes in the aggregate population, although too imperfect to be worth presenting, yet go to show that, as in Mexico, there is a considerable preponderance of females. The disproportion in births is not so great as in deaths, for, while the number of males and females born is nearly equal, more of the former than the latter die annually. There are more old women than old men, ascribable, no doubt, to the greater sobriety of the women, drunkenness being a vice which, under the tropics, is rapid in its consequences. In Nicaragua, the women number two to one of the male population. The department of Cuscatlan in San Salvador has an excess of 1,838 women over men and of 1,709 boys over girls. Peru and Chile, though neighboring countries and both in the strip of western coast between the Andes and the sea, present considerable difference of condition. Chile is rapidly rising in political importance by means of the internal energy of the people and the development of natural resources by native and foreign enterprise and capital. It has been asserted by resident eyewitnesses that female virtue was at so low an ebb in Chile within a few years that in most families, even of good standing, there were one or more children who were called children of the house, and whose parentage was distributed generally among the ladies of the family. Nay, we have heard that the rights of hospitality sometimes included civilities in respect to the females, which are usually considered as peculiar to certain oriental nations. 
A rapid change for the better is, however, taking place in these usages, and even the seaport of Valparaiso is described by Wilkes as being greatly improved from the period of his first visit, when few sailors left it without having lost both their money and health among its women. Peru has made but little advance in its recent political changes. The government is in a state of continual anarchy. A new mine of wealth has been discovered in the guano deposits of the Chincha Islands, which has attracted great numbers of foreign vessels to its shores. But the wealth acquired from this source has done little for the people. Lima, the capital, has long been remarkable for the levity and dissipation of its inhabitants. The very dress of the ladies, which may have been originally intended to ensure seclusion and privacy, has become an emblem of intrigue. It consists of a peculiar hood and petticoat, covering the wearer entirely, who, when thus in domino, is styled tapada, and is, by common usage, held to be secure from all impertinent interference or insult. The same term is applied to a shawl worn over the head, so as to cover the mouth and forehead. Under this concealment the wearer is known only to the most intimate friends, and ladies thus attired frequent the theatres. It is favorable to intrigue, and so perfect is the security that any place of amusement may be visited with impunity, and, even if suspected by the husband or relative, she is protected from discovery by the respect attached to the custom. Dr. Chudi draws a very cheerless picture of the state and prospects of Peru. Its moral degradation is significantly typified in the decline of its population, which has been continually diminishing since the establishment of its independence. That noble land, which contained an enormous population at the time of the conquest, numbered in 1836 less than 1,400,000 inhabitants, not so many as were formerly found in the department of Cusco alone. The deaths in Lima vary annually from 2,500 to 2,800 out of a population of 53,000. In the ten months from January 1st to October 31st, 1841, they were 2,244, the births in that period being 1,682, of which 860 were illegitimate. Quote, Not less remarkable than the number of illegitimate children is that of the newborn infants exposed and found dead. 495. These afford the most striking proofs of the immorality which prevails in Lima, especially among the colored people. To them belong nearly two-thirds of the illegitimate births and fully four-fifths of the children cast out to die. There is reason to suspect, though it cannot be positively proved, that no small portion of the latter suffer a violent death by the hands of their mothers. When a dead child is picked up before the church of San Lazaro, or in the street, it is carried, without a word of inquiry, to the Pantheon. Frequently it is not even thought worthwhile to bury it. I have seen the vultures dragging about the sweltering carcasses of infants and devouring them in populous streets. Footnote. On comparing the lists of births and deaths from 1826 to 1842, I satisfied myself that the annual excess of the latter over the former averages 550. Quote, the women of Lima are far superior to the men, both corporeally and intellectually, though their conduct in many respects is anything but exemplary. They cling with invincible tenacity to the use of their national walking garb, the saya y manto, in which they take their pleasure in the streets, 
making keen play with the one eye they leave uncovered, and quite secure in that disguise from detection, even by the most jealous scrutiny. The veil is inviolable. Any man who should attempt to pluck off a woman's mantle would be very severely handled by the populace. The history of their lives comprises two phases. In the full bloom of their fascinating beauty, their time is divided between doing naught and naughty doings. When their charms are on the wane, they take to devotion and scandal. A young lady of Lima rises late, dresses her hair with orange or jasmine flowers, and waits for breakfast, after which she receives or pays visits. During the heat of the day she swings in a hammock or reclines on a sofa, smoking a cigar. After dinner she again pays visits, and finishes the evening either in the theatre, or the plaza, or on the bridge. Few ladies occupy themselves with needlework or netting, though some of them possess great skill in those arts. Quote, the pride which the fair limenas take in their dainty little feet knows no bounds. Walking, sitting, or standing, swinging in the hammock or lying on the sofa, they are ever watchful to let their tiny feet be seen. Praise of their virtue, their intelligence, or their beauty sounds not half so sweetly in their ears as encomiums bestowed on their pretty feet. They take the most scrupulous care of them, and avoid everything that might favor their enlargement. A large foot, patasa inglesa, an English foot, as they say, is an abomination to them. I once heard a beautiful European lady deservedly extolled by some fair dames of Lima, but they wound up their eulogy with these words, Pero que pie, valgame Dios, parece una lancha. But what a foot! Good heavens, it is like a great boat! and yet the foot in question would by no means have been thought large in Europe. Quote, the Limenas possess, in an extraordinary degree, talents which unhappily are seldom cultivated as they should be. They have great penetration, sound judgment, and very correct views respecting the most diversified affairs of life. Like the women of Seville, they are remarkable for their quick and pointed repartees, and a limeña is sure never to come off second best in a war of words. They possess a rare firmness of character, and a courage not generally given to their sex. In these respects they are far superior to the dastardly, vacillating men, and they have played as important a part as the latter, often one much more so, in all the political troubles of their country. Ambitious and aspiring, Accustomed to conduct with ease the maziest intrigues with a presence of mind that never fails them at critical moments, passionate and bold, they mingle in the great game of politics with momentous effect, and usually turn it to their own advantage, seldom to that of the state. Add to this picture that, though delicate, modest women are rare, actual adultery is not often committed by the sex, but that concubinage is more common or rather, perhaps, more public than in Europe, the father being usually very fond and careful of his natural children, and a fair view is obtained of female character in Lima. The white creoles are noted for sensuality, and some of the dances in which they indulge are of indescribable obscenity. The influx of foreign ships and seamen into Callao, the port of Lima, has brought in its train the usual accompaniments, drunkenness and debauchery. A few years ago it was almost in decay and ruin. Now it swarms with drinking shops, pulperias, and prostitutes, 
and is probably as profligate a place as any in the western hemisphere. Passing to the Atlantic coast of South America, we find Robertson, the author of Letters from Paraguay, writing of female Spanish society at the city of Santa Fe. Quote, I was particularly struck by the extremely free nature, to use the very gentlest expression, of the conversation which was adopted with the ladies, young and old. It was such as to make me, with my unsophisticated English feelings, blush at every turn, although such modesty, whenever it was observed, caused a hearty laugh. The same author, speaking of female society in Rio, says, quote, There is no society at Rio, for I cannot call that society from which females are excluded. Generally speaking, the husband of a Brazilian wife is not so much her companion as her keeper. His house is the abode of jealousy and distrust, for he can not always stretch his confidence to the point of imagining fidelity in the wife of his bosom, any more than he can rely on the virtuous forbearance of the friend of his heart. His daughters are brought up in Moorish seclusion, and his wife is delivered over to the keeping of a train of somber slaves and domestics. It may be thought that some of these remarks are applicable to periods of time and conditions of society now happily passed away. But the poison of moral depravity, when once taken up, is not to be speedily eliminated from the system of nations more than of individuals. A very recent traveler, Mr. Stewart, testifies to the demoralization of female society in all classes. With such uniform representations of the general immorality, and of the low estimate in which female virtue is held in South America, it is not to be expected that there are any special details on the subject of our investigation. Prostitution is in some degree attendant upon a state of public feeling in which the purity of wives and daughters is held in respect, not viewed with jealousy, but with reverence. In South America, even in the present time, females mix but little in society. Their education is very limited, terminates early, and they are always under some kind of guardianship or chaperonage in public. This does not elevate the female character. Freedom and self-respect are the best protectives to virtue and honor, and the seclusion of women from general society only serves to invest them with the attraction of mystery to the libertine, while it takes away from themselves the experience and self-reliance in which they find a safeguard. In South America generally, the character of the priesthood is unfortunately open to reprobation. In Brazil, the priests are reputed to be free livers. Nearly all of them have families, and when seen leaving the dwellings of their wives, or of the females they visit, they speak of them as their nieces or sisters. Some unequivocally admit the relationship existing, and acknowledge their children. The value of the priestly character in estimating the standard of morality among a population is unquestionably great. An enlightened native said to Mr. Eubank, quote, The priesthood of this country is superlatively corrupt. It is impossible for men to be worse, or to imagine them worse. In the churches they appear respectable and devout, but their secret crimes have made this city a Sodom. There are, of course, honorable exceptions. Another, a man of unquestionable authority, said, quote, They are assuredly the most licentious and profligate part of the community. The exceptions are rare. 
celibacy being one of their dogmas, you will find nearly the whole with families. At Rio Janeiro there is a foundling hospital, established in 1582, which is a noble institution. The boys are provided for at Botofoga, and are, in due time, apprenticed to trades. The girls reside in the city establishment and are taught to read, write, sew, etc. At each anniversary, bachelors in want of wives attend at the festival, and if they see girls to their liking, make themselves known. If a girl accepts such a lover, he makes his application to the managers, who inquire into his character, and, if satisfactory, the marriage takes place, and a small dowry is given from the funds of the society. In the management of the institution or the reception of infants, there is nothing peculiarly worthy notice. But if those who are averse to such institutions contrast the blessed results of saving these helpless infants from misery, and the horror of beholding their dead bodies cast on dunghills to be devoured as carrion by obscene animals and birds of prey, as has been mentioned in the notice of Lima, they would, on such grounds, even if there were no better to be urged, suspend a hasty judgment on foundling hospitals. End of section 37 Recording by Ramon Escamilla Conway, Arkansas R-A-M-O-N E-S-C-A-M-I-L-L-A dot wordpress dot com